0: Alright, so Mark chapter 6, a lot of stuff. I really need about three weeks for this chapter, but we're going to do it all in one. There's a lot in here, so hang on as we try to uh, cover a lot of things and kind of hit a lot of different subjects, but I really want to kind of key on one thing, uh, one major attribute about Christ that we can learn a lot from, that we see towards the end of this chapter. But in Mark chapter 5, we saw where jesus is just having great success so far everywhere he's going is just like more and more miracles the miracles just become greater and greater his popularity is growing i mean things are really uh really happening but now here in chapter six we kind of see a change a little bit when he goes to his hometown and look what it says in verse one and he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples follow him and when the sabbath day was come He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. So the Jews here, we see them when he gets to his own hometown. They're offended because of the fact that somebody who had no rank, somebody who had no notoriety, somebody who wasn't of this... Noble birth and things like that, even though he was a son of David, but yet, uh, there obviously were many others too, cause they didn't see him. He, there, there was, he had no standing in that society, and in that culture that would have caused anyone to respect him. You know, there was a time in our country when people talked about how, you know, my ancestors came over on the Mayflower and that was supposed to impress all of us, you know, and now we're just all so mixed with everything. We don't care about that stuff anymore, but you know, the Jews cared about that stuff a lot. And so here you have just in their eyes a normal guy like, is not this the carpenter? This guy lived among us for 30 years and he didn't do anything like this. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. They're nothing special. So how is he able to say these things to us? And so, uh, you know, they they didn't think he was anything great, even though Jesus Christ was the son of God. But they didn't know that they didn't realize what was going on. Because they had no faith. Here, somebody comes along, a prophet, when they hadn't had a prophet in 400 years. And the truth is, you know, they, in their minds, this just wasn't what they were expecting. When the Messiah came, they all had an idea of how he would talk and how he would act. And Jesus didn't talk the way they thought he would. He didn't act the way they thought he would. So they rejected him. And, um... I think part of what he had going on here, and just pardon this expression, but uh, Dave Ram- has anybody ever heard of, I think Dave Ramsey is the one that came up with this. I've heard him talk about it, powdered butt syndrome. You ever heard of that before? And basically, anybody know what that, nobody knows what that is? Basically, when Dave Ramsey talks about it, he's talking about nobody wants to take financial advice from someone whose rear they powdered. And, you know, obviously these people, many of them probably knew Jesus when he was a little kid. And so, like, who are you talking with all this authority? And the thing is, too, you know, Jesus didn't have any sin nature. You know, it's not like they had anything bad on him. But obviously, they hadn't seen anything to show them that he was something special. And so they they were offended when he's saying this thing. We never thought, we thought it would come from one of the more noble families. We thought it would come from the family of one of the Pharisees. It'd be somebody from Jerusalem, not someone from Nazareth. I mean, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was what Jesus' own disciples said. And so they were. They were offended, and Jesus made that statement. You know, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, and his own brother, and his own house. And so it is. It's just kind of that, you know, powdered butt syndrome, basically. It's been a problem forever. That's just how people are. And it's not right, but it's just a human nature thing. And so notice, though, how it says, because of their unbelief, Jesus didn't do many, mighty miracles. You know why? Because if people are going to have, if Jesus is going to do a miracle, somebody's got to come to him with faith. Somebody's got to do that. And that's why, you know, God has the power to save the whole world. But if the whole world doesn't have faith, then you know what? The whole world's not going to get saved. But anyone who does have faith will get saved. And this is a reminder too, and I'm not going to preach on this. I've preached on this before. This is a reminder. The only reason we do not have revival in this country, it's not because God's not choosing to send it. I believe it's always there. It's always available. It's ready to go. It's just because people don't have any faith. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so if there is not revival in a church, if a church is dead, it's not because God didn't just randomly decide to come along and, you know, liven things up in that church. It's because that church doesn't have any faith. And they're in disobedience. And they just need to get right with God and start having some faith. So there's a reminder of that there. <clears throat> but notice after this. So it says in verse 7, And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, I want to briefly touch on this, because something we need to understand when we're reading this passage right here is These verses are telling us what Jesus did. They're not necessarily, you know, commands. Now, we can use the principle from this. But understand, these are not necessarily commands. God gave them power to cast out devils. Doesn't mean you can just go do it whenever you want. God, I mean, God might use you to do that, but he might not, too. And the other thing, too. We see him setting them out two by two. Does that mean that's the only way you can go soul winning? No, but I think it's a good way. I think it's it's just, it's practical. It makes sense. But, you know, if we're going to be like, no, it has to be two by two because that's what Jesus did. Well, then we also have to tell people only take one coat. That won't work right now. You need like two coats right now all at once. (laughs) You know, I mean, don't take any money. Don't take anything with you. And this is when they're going from town to town. That means whenever we do our soul events and we go to other towns and other places, especially if it's far away, you know, we're not supposed to take anything with us. No luggage, no money. And when we go into those towns, you know what else we're supposed to do? We're not supposed to get a hotel like we always do. We're supposed to try to get somebody in that town to receive us and bring us into their house. And they're supposed to feed us. You You know, don't you love it when people take, you know, like a verse from a place like this and then like declare it a command? it's like, wait a minute, buddy. Some of us are reading the whole chapter. And if we're going to take it that literal, we got to do all this other stuff, too. We also see him telling them when they would go to these towns that if they will not receive you, if the town will not receive you, not necessarily one house where somebody was a little ugly with them, if that town won't receive you, then you know what? Move on to the next town. They're in trouble. They're going to regret it. And so, a lot of times, too, we've got a lot of people, they'll take this verse, and then they think they're about, you know, they're going to go out there, and they're just cursing everybody. Oh, man, that guy slammed the door in my face because he was watching that football game. You shake the dust off your shoes, and then you go away talking with your partner about how the Lord's probably going to kill him in the next week or something. You know, it's just, it's amazing how bloodthirsty some Christians are. It really is a joke, and they always got a Bible verse to justify it, and man you know the way people mangle the scriptures now again we can take the principle of that and say you know what if somebody isn't going to receive us let's just move on let's not waste our time with people who aren't going to listen to us we can take that principle but you know what if you shake the dust of your feet off the house there's a good chance that nothing might happen to them and you know what else they might even get saved someday you know what else someone might already be saved and they just didn't want to talk to you that's very possible you know, I hate to take away all your power to kill all your enemies like you think you have but let's just we're just being real here all right so we need to make sure we understand these things and we don't butcher the scripture just to try to give ourselves power that you know we don't have so uh, verse twelve says and they went out and preached that men should repent now this is a if we wanted, we could use this as a proof text. We could isolate it. We could not look at context. And then we can tell use this as a verse to prove you have to repent of your sins in order to be saved. But let me ask you, if we're reading our Bibles here in Mark chapter 6, and they just say something that you could say is kind of vague. In this one verse, it says they went preaching, telling everyone to repent. How would we figure out what they were telling them to repent of? Anybody? If I just came up here and I told you that, hey, you know, I had to get on one of my kids before church and I told them they needed to repent, you'd be like, well, what were they doing, right? What were they repenting? If I don't give you, if there's no context to it, then it really doesn't mean a whole lot, does it? But I think where we get our context for this to know what they were repenting of is in Mark chapter one, because that's the last time we see Mark talking about repentance. And look what it says in Mark chapter one. In verse 4, it says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And then jump down to verse 7 and preach, saying, there cometh one mighty than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with The Holy Ghost. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say that it was the same repentance that John was preaching. Because that's what we see in chapter 1. And when John preached repentance, he was showing them that they were sinners. They needed cleansing from their sin. And you know what he did? He pointed them to Jesus Christ who was going to baptize them with the Holy Ghost. He preached Jesus Christ. And so it's the same thing. They were preaching the same thing that John preached. They were preparing them they were to receive Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons, too, everywhere Jesus would go, we would see these you know multitudes of people coming to see him because Jesus' disciples had been in these towns telling everybody about Jesus. And they had been baptizing people. That was one of the things we know Jesus' disciples were doing. They were baptizing people. And so whenever Jesus would show up, there was a bunch of people ready to receive him because they... You know, Jesus had been being preached. And so he's preaching the same thing that John did. He's preaching to a group of people that were a generation of vipers that thought because Abraham was their father, that they were safe, that they were on their way to heaven. But John showed them, you know what? You're a sinner and you need to confess your sins and you need to confess that you are a sinner, a transgressor of the law. Your performance as a Jew has not been good enough. You need a baptism not of water, but of the Holy Ghost, and that baptism, it comes through Jesus Christ. Preach Jesus Christ, and that was the repentance that he that he had them preaching, and that's why the Jews were getting so mad. They The Jews wanted them dependent on them, on their leadership, on their customs, on their rituals, and all these things they had people doing, but people were, instead, they were repenting, and they were turning to Jesus Christ, and everybody's going to him for everything. And Jews did not like that, at all. also verse 13 says, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil, many that were sick and healed them. And King Herod heard of him for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Now, this is an amazing testimony about John that when Jesus shows up and is doing or when Herod hears about Jesus, he says, it's John the Baptist risen from the dead. That's pretty good mistaken identity right there. If you want to be mistaken for somebody, you know, or Jesus was mistaken for John the Baptist. And a lot of people thought John the Baptist, he was the Messiah. You know, that that's pretty good. You know what? I've been confused for some people before, but nobody's ever confused me for Jesus. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm necessarily looking for that. But that's a pretty good, uh, you know, that's a pretty good compliment right there. And, but John was already dead at this point, and so it says in verse 15, and others said that it is Elias, that's a pretty good comparison too, others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets, and that would have been a very big deal during that time, because it had been 400 years since a prophet had been in Jerusalem, and they knew that, and we read it the other day in Maccabees, how they were talking about how the time of the prophets had ceased, they had ceased to be among them, They knew about the prophets from hundreds of years ago, but none had been in their midst for 400 years. And so the thought of even just a prophet being there, it was a big deal to Israel during that time. It really was shaking things up. It says, but when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So notice that, and this this is a common thing where you have the man who likes the hard preaching. I mean, think about this. Herod enjoyed listening to John preaching, even though he preached at him and said it's not law for you to have your brother's wife. But you know how it is in a lot of churches? You have these families that come to church, and the husband likes the preaching, but the wife doesn't. You know, and she's not the head of the family, but she's the neck that turns the head. And she gets bent out of shape. And I have heard many pastors over the years say, you know, that, You know, nine times out of ten, when somebody gets offended at the preaching and they want to leave the church, it wasn't the husband, it was the wife. And so Herodias, man, this woman's definitely a nag. She had a problem with him. But Herod was scared of John because, listen to this, Herod knew he was a good man. Herod knew he was holy. Herod knew he was preaching the truth. Herod knew he was a bad guy. He knew he was doing wrong. Herod knew he was sinning. Keep all these things in mind. It says, it says, when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and then that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swear unto her, whatsoever thou should ask of me, I will give it thee on a the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, "The head of John the Baptist." Think about it. When you're the queen's wife, you pretty much have everything you want, don't you? Have you ever thought about these people that are out there, just these rich elite types that just have billions of dollars, but yet they just never can seem to have enough? It's like, what could they possibly want? And you know what the rich elites hate? You know what the rich elite? You know know how many people there are out there? today? think about Zuckerberg, all right? The guy is a billionaire but you know what? That squirrely little weasel is just like Herodias. And you know what he wants? He wants people who say things that he doesn't like silenced. And I'm t- I could preach a message right now just on the cancel culture using Herodias' wife as example. She is the king's wife. She has everything she needs. And so here, this great pledge from the king in front of everybody has been made to her daughter. They're going to have everything she wants. You know what she wants? She wants John the Baptist dead. She wants the guy who dared to speak against her, listen, that was sitting in prison. It wasn't even enough for her that he was in prison and couldn't be out there preaching. She wanted him dead. And you know what? That's how it is with these people out there in this world today. That's how it is with a bunch of sick, twisted reprobates that are out there. It's not enough for them to just, you know, have what they want. They want any opposition silenced. They can't handle it. It's amazing how many people out there, they just can't handle opposing opinions being out there. They want to get YouTube channels shut down. They want churches shut down. And listen, eventually they're going to get us all shut down in the computer world. But, you know that still won't be enough. They're going to hate it to know that there's a place in Rock Falls, Illinois, where people get together and say things that we don't like. That's, going to, it, it, that's, going to, that's still going to drive them crazy. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to come up with a system. They're going to pass laws like they did with Daniel that's going to affect, they know is going to affect us negatively just so they can have an excuse to come after us and kill us. It's called the Mark of the Beast what they're that's what they're going to do to us because they can't even i mean we've never hurt anybody john the baptist all he did was speak the truth and he was sitting in prison and it wasn't enough for this woman she had to have him silenced she wanted him dead and so it says and she in verse 25 and she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked saying i will that thou give me by and by and a charger the head of john the baptist and the king was exceeding sorry Yet for his own sake and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Now, Keith Gomez he used to always say whenever they took that head of John the Baptist in the charger and they gave it to Herodias and She lifted that lid to look at his face. All of a sudden, John the Baptist one more time just said, repent. That was just a Keith Gomez story that he would always tell. But you know what? I'll bet in her mind, that's all she could see. Even though I don't think that literally happened. You know, and it did. She just hated that. And it's just, it is, it's crazy how many people there are out there that just can't handle opposing opinions, living on the same planet as them. You know why? Because they're weak, because they know they're wrong, and they hate those that remind them of them being wrong. So it's one thing, too. You know, there's a difference, because, you know, people act like we're hypocrites with this stuff, because we're against, like, pornography and things like that. But, you know, there's a difference between something that doesn't hurt anybody. If I just think you're a terrible person, how am I hurting you? I'm not hurting you. It's not like pornography where I mean horrible stuff is happening. it's warping the minds of people. all these industries, that's where all the human trafficking and all that stuff is going on. I mean, these are horrible people that are hurting innocent people. there's a there's a big difference between that and I do. I believe in free speech. I do. And so what, if, what if they're what they're saying is hurting people spiritually. It's not up to the government to punish those who are hurting people spiritually. God's going to take care of that pretty good. That's going that's all going to be dealt with. These people, you know, go read Jude. It tells us all about what these people have coming. And so there's a big difference between that which just hurts your feelings and that what actually hurts somebody. But we live in a world today where you hurt somebody's feelings, you need to be silenced. You got to be canceled, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? Anytime I see these people that are like that, just out there, this cancel culture type people, all I see is just a bent out of shape Herodias. That's what you are. You're a spoiled queen that just can't handle that somebody dared to think that you're a bad person. And that's because she knew she was a bad person too. Herod knew that about himself. All right, so the thing is, though, I believe it is very clear that Herod... I believe when he did this thing, I don't think we can always know when somebody crosses the line and becomes a reprobate, but I think this did it right here. I think this right here, you could say, is where Herod crossed the line and became a reprobate, and I'll tell you why. Because first off, notice about Herod, he liked hearing what John had to say. He liked John. Even though John said bad things about him. he it, It specifically says... He knew John was a holy and a just man, yet he killed him anyway. You know what that tells me? Herod rejected truth. Is that not a mark of a reprobate? They knew the truth. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And so Jesus, think about this, who is known for his kindness for others, whenever we're down on anybody, well, you should be more like Jesus. Well, let's see how Jesus was with Herod, who clearly was a reprobate. Look what it says in Luke 13, verse 31. It says, The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected, or I'll be complete, I'll be done. That doesn't sound like he's being real respectful to King Herod. You know why? Because Jesus didn't have any respect for him. Okay, fox is not a compliment. I know Foxy is a compliment in many cases today, but it wasn't back then. This was this was not a compliment. He's like, you go tell that fox, I've got stuff to do, and you know what? In three days, I'll be done. I like that answer right there. You know, I'm going to use that, you know, whenever the government's trying to tell us when we're going to have services, you know, I'll tell those foxes. We got service Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And you know what? We'll shut down our service as soon as we dismiss. <laughs> that's my attitude towards it. Yeah, we shut down our church, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, that, that's that's when we'll do that stuff. They can go jump in a lake. I don't mind I don't mind saying that with some of these people. But notice too, when given a golden opportunity to witness, I mean, shouldn't we always want an opportunity to witness to anybody? Well, In Luke 23, verse 8, it says, And when Herod saw Jesus, listen to this, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. So notice he's glad to see Jesus, not because he just had something burn in his heart and he was hoping Jesus could fill that void. He was hoping to see a miracle. He's like, all right, put on a show for me. That's what he was wanting to do. But notice, Says, then he questioned him with many words, but he answered nothing. When Herod talked to Jesus, Jesus didn't talk back. Jesus had nothing to say to him. You know why? Because there was no hope for Herod. You know, and you know what else he didn't do? He didn't stand there throwing a bunch of curses at him either. There's, you know, there was no reason for that. You know, we need to watch that, too. I get it. There's people out there they are cursed. They're done for. They're on their way to hell. But, you know, is there really any point in letting them know that? I mean, they're going to hell. All right? Some dude walks up to you in a dress, you know. We, yeah, we all know what that is. You know what? I think we better take I better take the Jesus approach. And you just don't even talk to him. You know, when, when you come across and we don't think we don't have, you don't see a whole lot of that around here, but if you do, sometimes you just need to just move on. Cause if you do, if you just go and you just freak out on them and you know, today, everybody's got a camera around with them. Somebody's going to film you and they're just going to use it to make you look bad. And really what did you accomplish? I mean, what good is it? You know, you're, I would, you're going to look like a jerk if you go out to a cemetery and there's a dead person there and you just go chew them out. what's the point of chewing out a dead person what did you accomplish and so really what's what's the point of talking to a reprobate are you going to accomplish anything no you're just going to make yourself look like a jerk and look crazy just like if you're chewing out the dead person at the cemetery so it's just best with some people to just move on move on when we were at massa and they had the protesters out there i went out to look at them get some footage but I didn't want to talk to any of them. For one, I was afraid they were going to be like the monkeys that they think they are. and So like throwing poop at me or something like that. But, you know, and and then there was just no reason to talk to them. You know, I went for the spectacle, saw it, then just moved on. And I think that's the best thing to do. And that's what Jesus did with Herod. He just didn't say anything. I believe he crossed the line when he killed John. And I know the objection people might have. Well, what about Paul? You know, Paul persecuted the Christians. But the Bible is very clear that Herod knew what he was doing and Paul received mercy because he did it ignorantly and unbelief. That's the difference, folks. That's the difference between somebody who just commits a sin because any sin can be forgiven by God. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sins and the punishment is the same for all sins. You kill somebody, you murder somebody You deserve to die. But let me ask you, is some guy who's in a fit of rage because maybe some guy, you know, tried to hurt his wife or maybe even committed adultery with his wife and he goes and kills him. All right. That was bad. That was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, is that the same as some guy that just enjoys strangling people? There's a big difference, isn't there? And there's and, you know, so we've got a there's there's a difference between somebody who knowingly is doing wrong and someone who makes a mistake. And somebody who messes up, if you kill somebody, you know, as a drunk driver, I believe you should be put to death or in our country, they probably just put you in prison. I think that's fine. You murdered them. You murdered them. But at the same time, you know, I would witness to that person in prison. I believe they could be saved. But said, so if you're just going around trying to run people over with your car for fun, I'm probably going to think you're a reprobate. Because you know, you know better than that There's a clear difference. And so I think Herod's a great example of that. So let's look at verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Now, there's there's so much in this chapter I can just preach a whole message on. But you know, we see here, they were so busy, they couldn't even eat. They had no leisure. Did you know it's okay to enjoy yourself and have some leisure time? Don't, don't you love those real spiritual people? Whenever like we as a church do something or you do something that's fun and relaxing, well, you know, you could have been out giving people the gospel, you could have been out soul winning. Hey, it's okay to have some leisure time. We, we need rest. We need relaxing sometimes. And so they were, I mean, and the thing is, man, people are getting saved. Miracles are happening. Great things are being done. But Jesus, he cares about his disciples, and he knows that they're limited in what they can handle. And so he tells them after they've been doing a lot of work, it's like, man, we're not even able to eat anything. We have no time for any rest. Let's go into a desert place. It's time to get away from everybody. We got to get away from everything so we can relax and just kind of recharge our batteries. So there's nothing, don't ever let people make you feel bad for just taking it easy. There's nothing wrong with using common sense when it comes to leadership. You know, and as a pastor too, I try to think about the, you know, things we do. I don't want to like overwork the people in our church. I don't want to overdrive the people in our church. Sometimes it's okay to just take a break. You know, if we slow down a little bit in the soul winning when it's like zero degrees out, you know, I don't think I'm accomplishing anything. By just still going the same way and making everybody do the same thing, just like a beat my chest and talk about what we used to do. You know what? I want you all to continue soul winning forever. And so we're not going to go and just overdo it to where people just give up and and burn out. We don't want to do that. And so sometimes we, you know, we might need to back off in some areas and take a break from some things because there's legitimate concerns and needs that people have and so you know as a pastor i try to i try to keep those things in mind you know i don't want to overwork people and jesus didn't want to do that with his disciples because they were they were really busy but notice though in verse 32 it says and they departed into a desert place by ship privately they're trying to get away from people and so um Verse 33, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So this is a famous passage here where Jesus talked about them having compassion, how they're like sheep with no shepherd, but what we often forget about this. When Jesus said that, this was when he was purposefully trying to get away from them. But there where they were at, and I've been there before at Galilee, it's not a massive body of water. So if a ship is out there and you see it going, you can see where it goes to. And it wouldn't take you super long, you know, it wouldn't take you forever to run around and get to where Jesus was. And so it starts, you know, some people recognize them, saw they got on a ship and they did. They went and chased him down, and Jesus gets there. He's wanting to take a break with his disciples. He needs his vacation. Or, you know, he need they need this time of rest. But Jesus, because he is compassionate, because he's caring, he sees these people and he's like, you know what? I'm going to help them. I'm, I'm going to help these people. Because they were. They were like sheep not having a shepherd. And so it says in verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place, and now the time is far past. And so it's like, you know, why would Jesus take a multitude out in a desert place? It's because he wasn't trying to take them. He was trying to get away from everybody. But unfortunately, they were followed. And so the disciples are saying, send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread they have nothing to eat this is how desperate people were to get to jesus they're following him out in a desert and they don't have any food that's how desperate these people were to get to jesus this is so it says he answered and said of them give ye them to eat and they say unto him shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat he saith unto them how many loaves have ye go and see and when they knew they say five and two fishes and he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves and they did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. So significance of this miracle. All right, I think it's I think it's pretty clear what it is in this one, because let's look at a few of the specific facts that have been given in this chapter. So first off, this chapter it starts out with a group of people who had no faith and not much was accomplished. A little bit was, but not much. Later, Christ's ministry is being blessed so much that they don't even have time to eat. That's how crazy things are getting. Jesus though, him and his disciples, they were still men and they still needed some rest. Okay? Jesus got tired. Jesus was a man and he would get tired. And so there were still, there were, but, so while they needed rest, there were still people that were desperate to get to Jesus, but the situation that they were in, physically speaking, it was not sustainable. You could not, conti- they could not continue doing things the way they were doing them ministering to people the way they were going all the hours that they were this was not physically sustainable and so while they are in an unsustainable situation notice god makes it possible god ends up providing a miracle and doing and literally i mean feeding a multitude with five loaves and two fishes and having 12 baskets left over folks we can't explain that type of thing that's just a miracle Now, we get it. Jesus is able to do that. He's the creator of the universe, but God is able to provide in areas where it's impossible. And we also know from John 6 that the lesson Jesus was trying to uh, show, too, is that he's the bread of life. He's the one that we are supposed to go to for provision. If whatever we need, Jesus Christ is where we need to go to for it. When it comes to our salvation, Jesus is the bread of life. We eat from him. We'll never hunger again. Right here Jesus is basically showing himself as Jehovah Jireh which means God our provider or the Lord our provider. Jesus is that bread of life. He can provide everything that we need for our salvation, for eternal life, and he can feed he can feed us in a way where we'll never hunger again. And that's what he did with it, he or that's what he showed he could do when he did this miracle that is just amazing. And so it says in verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before on while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So I, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Jesus needed to pray, what was going on here, but you know, I don't know. Maybe he just went to the Lord for some strength because they're tired. A lot's been going on. He, and Jesus needed to get by himself. He goes and he prays. He sends the disciples away. But you know what? There's still more work to do. They, there's a lot going on. A lot needs to get accomplished. But Jesus needs to go pray. So he sends away his disciples while he goes up into a mountain to pray. But then it says, and when the even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened now there is so much we could say about this miracle but i just i love the picture of this here so the disciples are in a storm again this time jesus isn't in the boat with them and and i don't i don't pretend to understand what all is going here but jesus remember he needs to get to where his disciples are at but he's on the other side of the sea he's way behind if he he can't wait for another ship, if he walks around the sea, it's going to take too long. So you know what? God, you know, and, you know, he's given his spirit without measure. Jesus is God. He's got all this power. So what does he do? He just takes a shortcut and just walks across the sea, which again, physically impossible, but Jesus did it. Yeah, you know, it's God that created the laws of physics, so he can break them if he wants to. He's Lord, just like he's Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of physics too. And he walks across the sea, and I like how it says, and he would have just passed by them. Now why? I mean, Jesus had to know, hey, if they see me walking on the sea, <laughs> they're going to be amazed. But I, I don't know. I don't understand the significance of it. But when they see him walking on the sea, they got sa- scared. They think he's a spirit. They're crying out. But then he just gets in the boat and the storm's gone. I, I you know, and if somebody's got like, all the answers for why he did it that way. I'd be interested in hearing it. I don't know for sure. You know, I don't know if 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 the Lord's going to fix our problems. We've just got to ask first. And and so that was kind of his way of, you know, when he sees them toiling, he's thinking, all right, I need to help them, but they need to ask. So I'll get their attention (laughs) by walking on the water. I don't know. I don't know. If you all have any good thoughts on that, I'd be interested in hearing them. But either way, there was work that needed to get done, there were people that wanted to get saved, and even though Jesus and his disciples are weary, they're hungry, and they're in an unsustainable situation, God, he knew what was going on, Jesus Christ knew what was going on with his disciples, and you know what he did? He provided a miracle to make it possible for them to do what needed to be done, and That's the thing we've got to realize is that, you know, we might find ourselves in really tough spots sometimes where in our minds, this can't work. This is impossible. But as long as we're in the will of God, God will make a way. God will find a way to get it done in ways that we can't explain. And all we really need to worry about is, are we doing the will of God? Are we doing what the Lord wants us to do? And I believe if... You know, if we focus on that, God will take care of all the other things. I've heard people say it this way before. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. You know, God will, He'll, He'll figure out what needs to be done and He'll make it happen. Even if He's got to multiply loaves and fish to make it happen, even God will do things even if there's not time, even if He's got to walk across the sea to get it done. He has the ability to do all those things. And, but what's, what's, I think that's neat about this is these miracles that were done, this was a result of Jesus having compassion on people. One, they were going to take a break because he cared about his disciples and what they needed. He understood what they were dealing with, what they were going through because he was a man. He got hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He's trying to take care of them. But then he also sees another group of people that he also loves, a multitude that are like sheep not having a shepherd that wanted Christ. And he's like, you know what? You know, you and I, if we're in a situation like that, we can't take care of both. We got to either tell the multitude to go home or tell our disciples to keep suffering. Jesus Christ, what does he do? He takes care of both through major, major miracles. And he did that because Jesus Christ is compassionate. Jesus Christ, as our high priest, knows what it's like to be a man. We see in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you know that if you are feeling just tired, it's okay to go and tell the Lord, Lord, I'm tired. Lord, serving you, you know, doing the things that are your will, I'm having a tough time with it. I'm tired, I need help. If you're discouraged, if you're if you just fear, if you're having these things that we have that often, you know, maybe get us in trouble, did you know you can go to the Lord and tell him that, hey, you know, Lord, I've I'm, you know, I'm concerned about our finances. God wants you to go to him with those things. He he understands that. He understands having, you know, having needs. He understands the pains, he understands anxiety. All these things that you go through in your life, God understands that. And as long as, you know, and if you're facing these things in his will, man, go tell him about it. Go boldly approach him and say, Lord, I really need a vacation. Hey, he was good. He tried to make it happen for his disciples, didn't he? Because they were hungry. They didn't even have time to eat. So there's no way that can happen. There's no way the Lord could work that out for me. He can. He did an amazing miracle there. He had to multiply loaves and fish to do it, but he got it done. We see in Isaiah chapter 49, or 40, another popular passage, verse 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to him that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what the Lord he might give you that vacation or he might just give you more strength He might just give you the energy Either way as long as you're in God's will You know, he's going to take care of you If you're when you're doing the work of the Lord, he's going to take care of you as a church As long as we're doing the work of the Lord God's going to take care Of whatever our needs are God's going to get God's going to get the job done one way or the other All we need to worry about is that we are in god's will we're doing the work of the lord and if we keep doing the work of the lord God's going to provide miracles God's going to do things because there's people out there that they do There are people out there that do want to know the truth I believe as long as we keep doing what we're doing to just reach people with the gospel and you know going out there telling people about jesus god's going to Give us the things that we need to do that and more because god has compassion on all those sheep out there that don't have any shepherd and you know the other churches they're not the ones going out looking for these people they're not out you know on their feet like we see jesus and his disciples what we've got today is people just building buildings and hoping everybody's going to show up at those buildings that's not the way they did it in the bible and as long as we keep doing these works i believe god's going to keep doing great things and we might, and you know, we, I believe we're going to keep seeing, well, we'll see miracles. We'll see God do great things and he will provide because he is the provider. And so that's why we just got to make sure we're staying in God's will. That's all we've got to worry about. Now, what about when we go through the storms? Well, the storms didn't seem to be a problem for Jesus. You know, the disciples though, their hearts were still hardened. And even after all that Jesus had done, they still were just kind of, having unbelief there. Even after what Jesus, first, he had calmed the storm before. And then he goes and he does this miracle with the loaves and fish. And they're still panicking. I mean, you would think at this point, as soon as that storm started, you'd think one of them would have just prayed. And, you know, just right there. Hey, we can take care of this. You know, but unfortunately, they, their, their hearts, they were hardened. And it took the disciples a long time to get their act together. It wasn't until after the resurrection that we finally see them showing some faith. And, uh, I think that's pretty sad, but you know, we're not much better sometimes. We like to pick on the disciples, but, uh, we're not a whole lot better. And so we just need to make sure that we learn from these things and remember Jesus Christ, He is not a slave driver. His yoke is easy, His burden's light. He made salvation real easy for us, and, He, he knows what we're going through. He cares about us and he wants to take care of us. But sometimes we just forget to ask. We just try to take care of things ourselves. Don't make that mistake. Just ask the Lord whatever you need. He cares what you're going through. He wants to make it easy for you. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that this was a help to everyone. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to uh, just think of you first. Whenever we face any oppositions, Lord, that, uh, you'll be our go-to right away for every situation. And Lord, we're just thankful that uh, you know what we're going through. You understand uh, the things that we deal with. And so, Lord, I pray you'll help us to boldly approach your throne like you have told us to do, uh, knowing we'll find mercy. In your name we pray. Amen.